Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling Your Business. For those of you just joining us today, my name is Keith D., president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is a boutique merger and acquisition firm uh, founded in 2001, primarily working with business owners looking to sell. Uh, our typical client uh, has uh, $5 million in revenues and up. And uh, we're excited today to bring back uh, one of our own team members, uh, Will Wilcoxon. Hey, Will, good to see you again. Hello, Keith. Thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you got a lot on your plate based on a few calls we had uh, yesterday and day before. So uh, thanks again for being here. Uh, for, your, for those of you who uh, may not have seen our last episode, Will brings a unique perspective uh, to our business. Uh, he spent uh, the bulk of his career uh, funding companies in early stage and startups. And now he's working with Osage, helping business owners exit their companies. Uh, typical, our typical clients are near or at retirement age and looking to transition into, uh, uh, you know, over time into a different lifestyle, right? Next stage of life, whether they're turning it over to family members, whether they're selling out to a private equity fund, a strategic buyer, you know, it's a really emotional time for our clients. Uh, and our job as advisors at Osage is to help them transition on their terms. And Will, so it's a whole new ball game for you working on the sell side. And um, I'm sure a few things have come up that have uh, surprised you when the business owner is ready to sell. And I'd love to get your perspective on some of the things that you know, we've dealt with as a team and you individually with our clients uh, helping them through that process. Uh, if you can give a few examples or just your thoughts on that, would be great. Sure. Well, as um, and, and thank you again for that introduction. Um, as we talked about last time, you know, the difference between the, the venture back companies, the biggest difference and say a lower mid market company that's possibly family owned or closely held is that the venture back company was built from day one to be sold or to be taken public. So they're investing in a lot of, in a lot of, you know, a lot of money in sales and marketing and product development and, you know, getting the word out and so forth. And generally, um, you know, since they were engineered from the beginning to be sold, um, when it comes time to sell, um, you know, they're usually looking at the highest price and they have the champagne bottles ready to, to pop open once the deal is closed. However, when you go to the closely held and family businesses, as you mentioned, it's very emotional. And, you know, as the founder of a, of a business, I may not have had a real boss in 30 years. And when I go to sell, there might be an earnout period and I might be working for somebody half my age and not making all the decisions. And that can be daunting. And one of the things I think we've seen is that, um, more, more frequently than not, the buyers um, at Osage um, are, the winning bidders are not always the highest bidder and that people are looking to take care of their, man, of their management team after they sell, they wanna be taken care of. They may want the name on, to be on the wall. They may um, insist that the buyer doesn't move the location or lay off people for a period of time. And um, those things, um, usually when they get those concessions, it's at a slightly lower price. So the emotional um, part 
you know, plays a big role in, in how the exit is done because if the owner isn't happy with what they're with what they're being offered, um, you know, they might just say, no, I, I've done this too long. I'm not going to take a suboptimal, you know, outcome. So, right. you know, I might not sell. So I, I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, you know, it's under it's understanding. It's also understanding, uh, uh, understanding the market, right? Understanding the buyer pool. And, you know, from an Osage, and I know our whole team adheres to this, is that really understanding why they're coming to us. What's motivating uh, the sell and what are your goals and objectives, right? I mean, you could be... Uh, uh, you could be the second generation and the third generation still working in the business, but you decided that, Hey, I need to provide for myself and my spouse. So I need to sell, or maybe I'll sell a recap. I'll sell out a big piece, but leave some in for my kids to continue to run. Cause that's what they choose to do. Or you may have one kid in the business that or a child in business that wants to stay on and grow it. And another person, a child in business who's not in the business, but is also looking for a payday. So there's a lot of dynamics going on. Uh, and, and in the meantime, like you said, you have your whole identity wrapped up in this company as you should. So, you know, understanding the market, understanding what the buyers, how they perceive your business, both good and bad, and then providing them with these choices of different buyers. Because most of our clients... I would say 90%, maybe 95%. This is the first and only time they're going to sell. So when you're, when you're talking to the buyer, when you're, when you're talking to, excuse me, when you're talking to our client, the seller, and you're, you know, advising them, um, you know, things kind of pop up that you may say, okay, I didn't see that coming, right? And, I'd love your perspective on, on, on how, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, what's what, uh, you were surprised. You, you know, you had a great deal. We vetted the market. We talked to, you know, you know, 15 different buyers. We came down to a handful. We got down to the table. And then all of a sudden the client's like, um, I can't do it, right? It's like not because of the price. I just really like the number two reason deals don't get done is because the buyer remorse, cold seller remorse, cold feet, right? So, uh, you know, we've been in that situation. Uh, I'm sure other bankers have been in that situation that don't work for Osage. But yeah, how do you work through that situation to get to a point where, hey, this is a good deal for you? Yes, and I, I don't think there's any simple answer. I think it's like... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a professional relationship. You know, you really get to know what their interests are, what their motivations are, you know, sometimes what their fears are. You know, I, I know a lot of times um, I, I've done a lot of work with behavioral um, uh, health companies. And a lot of times you have a provider, you know, a person who's providing say physical therapy services. And when they started the business, it's because they had a, an idea for a better a business, better way to treat your patients. But at some point, it stopped being fun. You know, they're, they're dealing with payers and they're dealing with HR issues. And um, so they, so they want to sell, but then they just can't, you know, they'll articulate, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And one of the good things about the private equity recaps is that a lot of these um a lot of these small clinicians or, you know, two or $3 million businesses, um, the owner wants to take money off the table, but they want to, they want to basically have a, a, 
an easier lifestyle. So rather than working 70 hours a week, the smart private equity owners will say, look, it, I, I want to keep you on because this is continuity. So I'm going to buy half of your business now and provide the capital to run your business. But you know what? You don't have to worry about billing issues or payer issues or HR issues. All you're going to do is, for example, hire and train or go out and call on um, you know, pediatricians for referrals. And once they're working fewer hours and they're having more fun and not doing the nuisance stuff, they stop and say, this is what I want to do for the next 10 years. But if it's just, you know, hey, we're going to go out and sell the business and, you know, you're going to you're going to go for long beach walks from this point on. That's daunting. And that's why what I think is great about Osage is how on the first page of our SIM, the confidential inf information memorandum, we put the owner's um you know, goals on the cover. And um, that gives a lot of choice. So if the person says, look, at, I want to take some money off the table and work for five more years, the smart private equity investors or even the smart strategic investors stop and say, I'm going to create this dream job for you because it'll ensure that your goals are aligned with my goals for the next three, five, six years, whatever it is. Yeah, so it's a good point because what you're what you're talking about there, it's a uh, you know lack of better, it's like a soft landing, right? You are able to take some chips off the table, but you're also able to continue working on the things you like to do. And yes. in all honesty, you know, and, and you know, sellers. Excuse me, uh, you know, that's a win-win in the right circumstance. That's why we vet the buyer pool and let that have them do their own due diligence on the buyer pool and make sure they talk to other companies they bought, CEOs of the companies, uh, see how, how things transition, how things work for them. You know, but from a buyer perspective, you know, I think sometimes our clients uh, maybe don't think about this enough is that the buyers really want you to stay on in a capacity. You know, whether you're driving sales, while you're driving, uh, uh, you know, a pet project, while you're driving acquisitions. I mean, what we typically see is when our, one of our clients uh, sells, uh, most likely uh, from a private equity perspective, buyer, the first thing is, who else should we be talking to in your network, right? Because you have relationships. You've walked to trade shows for, you know, 20 years. You know your competition better than we do. Who else do you think we should be talking to, right? We want you to kind of drive that activity but in the meantime, you've taken a bunch of chips off the table, diversified, you know, uh, your risk, and you and you still have up, you still have rewards that you can spend the next couple of years doing if you choose. It's your call, right? right? Exactly, and and I think also, you know, a, a lot of times to the point you made earlier, um, you know, the technology CEO may have built and sold three companies before. This is something they know about, and in the the business, the smaller business owner perspective, they don't really know what they're encountering. And the fear of the unknown is, is huge. So they might picture that all investors are going to be these, you know, tyrannical folks who, you know, are demanding performance. And then when we get them, you know, seven or eight indications of interest um, and they decide who they want to meet with, they usually come out and they say, I really like these guys. They may, they may not be the highest bidder, but I think that the chemistry with me and my team is going to be the best. I think that my clients are going to, or my customers and clients are going to be taken care of. And that's sort of part of the discovery process because, you know, um, 
chemistry is everything. And if you're working with good investors or a good, you know, acquirer, um, your life is going to be a lot better and your outcome is probably going to be better than if you're working with somebody who provided the highest price, but you don't exactly see eye to eye with them. Yeah, it's a good point because I think, you know, you use chemistry. We, I always use the word fit. You know, is it a good fit, right? Does it work for us? Does it work for you, right? I mean, when I mean us, I mean the family. And right. as you said, multiple winners of our auction process have not been the number one price. In fact, right. we've had situations where the, the top bidder, when they came into manager meetings, you know, our client would look at them and after me, and says, look, I'm not doing a deal with these guys. I just don't like them. I don't trust them. Right. So now we've, you know, so now we've selected that buyer, right? Our client selected a buyer with our advice and we're moving forward. And then we get into, uh, you know, the due diligence phase, you know, they're going to basically, you know, look under the hood, financial operations, sales and marketing personnel, you name it, human resources, a uh, cyber it goes on and on and on. Right. And that's when, you know, I think it really becomes real. And we've experienced this on multiple uh, occasions together already. And uh, is that, you know, the, uh, I use the word deal fatigue. Is that as we, as time wears on, you know, patience, emotions uh, run thin and little things come up that uh, could, let's say, kind of strain you know, the, uh, the trust factor that they initially had. And, you know, and we've experienced that good and bad with uh, clients that just couldn't get over it and clients that did. So, uh, but that's just the nature of the business. But from your perspective, and we, we went through this uh, together about a year ago with, with this particular yes. client, you know, and, and I think you did an incredible job of, of laying the facts on the table but it, at the ultimate day, it's their final decision. And I just get your perspective of, you know, how you went about that, you know, from a standpoint, you know, it's like, we, we don't work like you got to do this deal, right? It's like, right. okay, what do we need to do to satisfy your concerns? So you're comfortable, right? That's how we approach it. So I just love to hear a little bit about from you, you know, you're, you know, when you think about that from your, all your training, all your investing, everything you've done from your, your prior experiences and now you're here trying to, you know, nurture your client to do the right thing, but they got to make that call themselves. Right. And that, that gets back to the owner's objectives. And I think what happens is when somebody is just running their business day to day and they're not thinking about, you know, at some point I'm going to sell, they put all this stuff off and when you have that conversation about what would you really like to do, um, that's, I think, when you get to the heart of the issue. And if, if somebody's like, you know, um, uh, I, I really want to continue to work for two years or I really just want to get out of the business in six weeks, when you have those conversations up front and you put a good explanation, you know, when you address the owner's goals and interests in the, in the, in the write-up, uh, you get buy-in because if it's something that someone says, you know, once and it's sort of passing while they're thinking about ton, 10 other things, that's not really a, a serious commitment. But if you're having two or three conversations over the space of time when they're contemplating this and they continually say the same things, you get a, a good sense that, you know, they, they've thought about this, they're committed to it. 
and they're not taking it lightly. And that's, I think, the, the real difference. And, and Keith, you and I have met a couple people in the past who had nice businesses and they were, you know, good people, but we could tell that they were ambivalent, right? And, and nobody right. wants to get down the path of working for six or nine months if someone isn't really committed. So I think we've, you know, I, I've learned a lot from you because I think that you've been able to sort of tease out some of the inner thoughts that maybe don't necessarily come out to really get a sense for whether the person is serious about it or, you know, is this a real deal, deal killer or is it something that I can live with? And and there's no substitute for just developing that relationship and understanding really what's making somebody tick. Yeah. I think that's an important point. You, you, you want to have, we always say before we sign up a client, we want to be of like minds, right? We, we spend a lot of time up front, you know, being totally honest about what we perceive the value of the business in the current market. And we've been doing this for over 20 years, so we have a, um, a good sense. You know, we're not going to be spot on. It's going to be this number, but a range. Likely trade between X and Y. And if the potential client agrees with our thought process on that, then we move forward. But we've turned, as you said, we've turned business down uh, because... Uh, their valuation expectations are not what we consider in market. And we don't want to say, we don't want to go out there and say, Hey, yeah, we will take you on as a client. And this, by the way, we're not going to get that price. You got to take this price. That, that doesn't, that's a, that's a lose, lose situation. Right. So that is something that, you know, is, is I think you really got to focus on is make sure that there's a buy-in on both sides because we're a team. We're going to be their partner for the next you know, six months, nine months to a year, working with them to liquidate their most value, you know, their biggest asset, whether it's partial liquidation, full liquidation. So we want to make sure up front that we're on the same page. And then on the other hand, it's also about continued communication, right? I think that our job is to communicate the concerns of our client to the buyer, no matter how small, because of the concern of our client, it's it's big to them. Even though you uh-huh. may perceive it as inconsequential, it's not really going to affect the price, and it may not have to do anything to do about the price, right? It could just be do about how I feel working with these people moving forward. There's a million things that are going through a seller's mind when you get close to close, and then, and and also from communicating the buyer's concern to the, to our client because we got to find a middle ground that we all can work with. And that's, uh, you know, that, that could be a lot of conversations going back and forth as you and I have experienced in the past, you know, to, to get to a place where everybody's comfortable. Right. Right. So, right. And I think that, I think that part of that is being as upfront as possible, both in the confidential information memorandum as well as in discussions and the Q and A sessions that we do with with owners, um, to get everything out on the table, because if, um, for example, I say in um, in the the information memo that um, you know our our lease is up in a year and we think we're going to get you know better terms and you know we we um, would prefer not to move, but here's our plan in case it happens. If during the process, the landlord says, hey, we're not going to renew or we're not going to renew on, on favorable terms, you've already described that 
as an issue and, and the potential buyers will say, oh, well, we knew that was an issue and, and you know, we'll, we'll help you find new, new um, right. real estate. If it comes up and nobody's warned you about it, you stop and you say, hey, how big a problem is this? Because, you know, I'm thinking about it for the first time. And, you know, more importantly, what else is going to happen, right? Because nobody likes surprises. And when you get one, you always expect there to be another one right behind it. So yeah. I think just the you know, complete transparency throughout the process is really important. Right. And I think you hit it on the head right there. Uh, complete transparency is critical to a successful deal uh, because if there's something out there, it will come up. And if it comes up and you don't disclose it, meaning us, a client to a potential buyer, the level of the skepticism meter goes up. And if that goes right. up, that means the value goes down. And whether they look to say, okay, we we see what you're saying, but you know, instead of paying you X at closing now, we're going to pay you Y. And then if you hit that target, we'll pay the rest in an earn out, right? But if you fully disclose it up front, total transparency is key to success of any transaction uh, because it will come up. Um, yes. at some point in time. So, so, so as we wrap things up, you know, you've been with Osage for what, two and a half, three years now. I can't remember. It's been, uh, yes. since like yesterday, anything you want to share about, you know, some of the experiences you've had with, um, uh, meeting potential clients, clients we're working with right now, uh, et cetera. Uh, um, as you, as you've, as you have transitioned from that, the venture world to the M&A world. You know, I think the I think um, you know word we talked about earlier was patience, and you know um, if you're a, a business owner, you've been running a business for 20, 30 years, um, you've probably put off you know your thoughts about selling the business. I know one owner, great guy, he's of retirement age. Um, he's hoping that um, his daughter will take over the business, but he doesn't want to force her hand, so he's sort of waiting. And if you go in there with a hard sell and say, you got to do it now, you got to do it now, you got to do it now, it's going to turn that person off. And they're not going to want to work with you. And I think, you know, when when you say, look, and I'm willing to help you, um, even if you're not thinking about selling or not thinking about selling for two or three years, I could probably give you two or three pointers that, you know, when it is time to go to market, that will result in more money in your pocket. Customer concentration being probably the the most common thing, you know, you've built a business, you've got a customer that's maybe 20% of your revenues and buyers look at that and say, Hey, this guy's probably your friend. So, you know, we buy you on day one and maybe that, that person walks, but if the owner has that conversation two, three years before, and they make a conscious effort to diversify so that they don't have customer concentration, Hey, well, that's that value added. And if, you find out, you know, instead the day that you go to market, um, it's a surprise and it's going to affect your valuation. So I think establishing contact and rapport with owners early in the process, giving them the benefit of, of your experience, um, you know, really paves the way for a good long-term relationship. And I know, Keith, you've met with companies that weren't ready and then, you know, seven, eight years came back. And, you know, he had great experiences, but it's it's all about patience and, and um, you know, being there to help the owners. Right. And uh, on that note, right, patience is a virtue. Uh, you can't force the hand of somebody who's not ready. Uh, our job is to right. guide them and be there when they're ready to sell the business and uh, guide them through the process. So 
So, Will, uh, thanks again for being with us today. It's been great, and um, I'll be seeing you in a couple weeks, I think, up in a seminar we're putting together in uh, New Hampshire. So I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks again. So, uh, everybody, thank thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure. So, uh, again, everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, To learn more about Osage Advisors, please visit, visit us on the web at osageadvisors.com. If you have any questions, you can feel free to email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com or feel free to pick up the phone and give us a call at 860-767-3273. Thanks for your time and have a great day. <laughs>